good morning. Uh, hopefully everybody has uh, notes that say, of God's providence, number one. And uh, I want to encourage you to begin with, to turn, if you would, to um, Psalm 103, and we'll read verses 19 to 22. Psalm 103, and verses 19 to 22, just to kind of prepare our hearts for uh, the theme this morning. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his host, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And let us pray. Father, what a delight to begin the day, the Lord's Day, with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and to um, commune with thee and worship thee. And so I I pray that uh, our our time together would be uh, honoring to thee and that it would truly be profitable to our souls as we interact with uh, your your Holy Scripture, your disclosure to us of your character um, and of your ways in this world in particular. And so I, I pray it would be Uh, helpful to our minds as we would reflect upon the character of your ongoing involvement in the world that you have created. would pray for the help of your Holy Spirit um, uh, during these moments together to just communicate your your Holy Word in a way that is not only honoring to you, but is is instructive to our our minds, enlightening to our minds, and therefore uh, edifying and uh, enriching to our hearts and to our souls. So we Pray that you would be honored and glorified in our time together throughout this day, that you would be lifted up in our midst, and we commit our time to you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, directing your attention this morning uh, to, uh, this is from the fifth chapter of London Baptist Confession um, of Divine Providence. It consists, uh, consists of seven paragraphs. And this morning, uh, we'll confine our thinking uh, to the first paragraph um, and I would just say by kind of introducing the, the theme from a spiritual perspective and just living the Christian life, the, the concept of um, uh, do, uh, the providence of God and the sovereignty of God are just very enriching and very encouraging doctrines, very practical doctrines when it comes to uh, living the, the Christian life. And when a, when a person starts to kind of read in the Reformed world or the Calvinistic world, this is you, you bump into these doctrines. And I think they're, they're both God-honoring because what they do is they let God be God. That's probably not the best way to put it. God will be God. But these, these doctrines in particular, you, you see God acting as, as we feel he ought to act. And um, some, of the, some of the verses that uh, substantiate the sovereignty of God are the same verses that substantiate the providence of God. They're very closely related doctrines. And I was just one of the books that really uh, was influential in, in my own thinking years and years ago is called the, the Sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink. And I'll just kind of reread the beginning of it because this, uh, this was, I was kind of just moving into this, this realm of thought. And in the first chapter, it's called the sovereignty of God in the present day. And he repeats this phrase, I think, five times in this chapter. He says, who's regulating affairs on this earth today, God or the devil? And he repeats that like five different times, just like one paragraph, for example. 
He says, attempt to take a, a serious and comprehensive view of the world. What a scene of confusion and chaos confronts us on every side. Sin is rampant, lawlessness abounds, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. Today, everything appears to be out of joint. Thrones are creaking and tottering. Ancient dynasties are being overturned. Nations are in revolt. Civilization is a demonstrated failure. Half of Christendom was but recently locked together in a death grapple. And now that the titanic conflict is over, instead of the world having been made safe for democracy, we have discovered that democracy is very unsafe for the world. Unrest, discontent, and lawlessness are rife everywhere, and none can say how soon another great war will be set in motion. Statesmen are perplexed and staggered. Men's hearts are falling, excuse me, failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. Do these things look as though God had full control? It just kind of goes on and on and, and, and convinces you, yes, God is in full control. And so it, it's a very helpful book with respect to uh, this theme. And so both of these themes, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, are, are just very helpful. Um, life, as we know, is, is very difficult and uh, on many, can be very difficult on many different levels and very devastating. And I, I don't know where to go in, in terms of better than these particular doctrines, the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. They're very, they're very helpful wherever we're at at a particular juncture in our walk with the Lord. It's just peace-producing to know in the soul that God is ordering every single dimension of our life. He's accomplishing things and purposes. And so this, this particular doctrine is very helpful uh, from, from that perspective. Well, we'll see um, how it goes today. Four major divisions uh, in your notes um, I think the third section will be the, the longest. And so we'll just kind of uh, go through the notes that are in front of you. You know, if you're still in Psalm 104, turn back to Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11. Psalm chapter 33, verses 10 and 11, and then we'll just kind of work through the, the notes. But these are another um, two verses that are very helpful as it bears on this particular theme. Psalm 33 and verses 10 and 11. Uh, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. So there's a couple more verses that are just very helpful in this respect. So the first paragraph reads like this. God, the creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all. All creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. And then I think kind of a good summary statement here by Robert Shaw. He writes, this section teaches that there is a providence, by which God, the great creator of all things, upholds and governs them all, and that this providence extends to all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least. And then a question from the, the Shorter Catechism, question 12, what are God's works of providence? The answer, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. And that's right at the heart of this particular doctrine, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. 
Uh, just a, a short thought here about its relationship to previous chapters. Uh, the Shorter Catechism, back question 9, says, how, how does God execute his decrees? And the answer is God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. And then secondly, here Robert Shaw, he, he makes the point that the doctrine of God's providence may be inferred uh, from, and then he's got several things listed here, uh, from the nature and perfections of God, from the dependent nature of the creatures, from the continued order and harmony visible in all parts of the universe, the remarkable judgments that have been inflicted on wicked men. We might think of somebody like Ahab in the Old Testament. Uh, the signal deliverances that have been granted to the church and people of God, the prediction of future events and their exact, um, and, and their exact fulfillment. And you might... Um, Right, the, the first thing that he mentions here that argues for the providence of God, even before one would really maybe develop his or her thinking, is the nature and the perfections of God. And just to kind of push that a bit further, towards the end of your notes, I've got three pages towards the end here. And if you could turn towards the end of your notes and find the page that says Stephen Sharnock on discourse and existence, excuse me, discourse on the existence and attributes of God. And this just, I'm kind of just developing this point here. And, um, the, the idea that the doctrine of God's providence can be inferred from his perfection, from his character. And I, I thought Sharnock was kind of helpful. And so if you, if you find that page, um, it, just a couple of, uh, of areas here with respect to God's perfections. He's got with respect to God's omnipresence. And the doctrine is that God is essentially and everywhere present. Um, and he says, as eternity is the perfection whereby he hath neither beginning nor end, Immutability is the perfection whereby he hath neither increase nor uh, diminution. So immensity or omnipresence is that whereby he hath neither bounds nor limitation. It was a good expression of the heathen to illustrate this, that God is a sphere or circle whose center is everywhere and circumference nowhere. The sea is a vast mass of waters, yet to that it is said, Hitherto shall that go and no further, but it cannot be said of God's essence. Hitherto it reaches and no further. Here it is and there it is not. As he is not measured by time, he's not limited by place. He's everywhere. His nature hath no bounds. He is not tied to any place as the creature is, who when he is present in one place is absent from another. And this should be as no place. The word no should be in there. As no place can be without God, so no should be no place can compass and contain him. Then he makes a statement with regard to God as creator. First is omnipresence, then the fact that God is creator. As everything in the world is created by God, so everything in the world is preserved by God. And since preservation is not wholly distinct from creation, it's necessary God should be present with everything while he preserves it, as well as present with it when he created it. Thou prefer, excuse me, a preservest man and beast. There is a virtue sustaining every creature that it may not fall back into that nothing from whence it was elevated by the power of God. And the only point I'm making here is um, if you ask the question, well, who, who is qualified to preserve and govern all his creatures and all their actions who has the necessary qualifications it is god and it is perfections and and th this kind of um, development of a couple of his perfections just presses into our mind that that he's qualified to be that the providential god and the sovereign god that the scriptures uh, teach that that he is so um okay then um number three the meaning of the term providence, the meaning of the term providence, and first a, a couple of areas uh, that is not the providence of God, 
Um, deism, uh, it's a form of rationalistic faith that view God. This is from John D. Hanna's work. Uh, a form or rationalistic faith that viewed God as the creator of the universe. It directs the world through established laws more than providential control. It views, excuse me, it viewed Christ as the best human example of virtue and morality. And Burkhoff writes, according to deism, God's concern with the world is very general in nature. It created the world, established its law, set it in motion, then withdrew from it. He looks on it from a distance as the world runs its course according to the invariable laws of nature and interferes with its regular operation at most when something goes wrong. Thus the world is it's like a machine which he has put into operation and not at all like a vessel which he pilots from day to day. And just a kind of a, a bit of expansion here. This is from the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, just a part of the article on deism. They write, it's sometimes used loosely to define a particular viewpoint with regard to the relationship between God and the world. Uh, it would reduce God's function in creation to that of first cause, according to the classical comparison of God with a clockmaker, which is found as early as 1382. God wound up the clock of the world once and for all at the beginning so that it now proceeds as, as world history without the need of his further involvement. So deism is, is primarily just got hands off. God has created the world and then it, then it functions according to natural laws. Then kind of at the other end of the scale is pantheism. Uh, the scriptural account, this is from Wayne Grudem, the scriptural account of God's relation to his creation. It's also distinct from pantheism. Uh, the Greek word means all or every, and pantheism is the idea that everything, the whole universe, is God or is part of God. Pantheism denies several essential aspects of God's character. If the whole universe is God, then God has no distinct personality. God is no longer unchanging because as the universe changes, God also changes. Moreover, God is no longer holy because the evil in the universe is also part of God. Another difficulty is that ultimately most pantheistic, excuse me, most pantheistic systems such as Buddhism and many Eastern religions end up denying the importance of individual human personalities. Since everything is God, the goal of an individual should be to blend in with the universe and become more and more united with it, thus losing his or her individual distinctiveness. If God himself or itself has no distinct personal identity separate from the universe, then we should certainly not strive to have one either. Thus, pantheism destroys not only the personal identity of God, but also ultimately of human beings as well. And then uh, Burkhoff also is, uh, is helpful. He writes... Christian theism is opposed to deistic separation of God from the world and a pantheistic confusion of God with the world. Hence, the doctrine of creation is immediately followed by that of providence, which is true of the confession, creation, and providence, in which the scriptural view of God's relation to the world is clearly defined. While the term providence is not found in scripture, the doctrine of providence is nevertheless eminently scriptural. The word is derived from the Latin um, providentia, possibly, I don't know about that pronunciation, which corresponds to the Greek pronia. These words mean primarily, uh, uh, brother, um, I'm going to skip that, or foresight, but gradually acquire other meanings. Foresight is associated on the one hand with plans for the future and on the other hand with the actual realization of these plans. The word providence has come to signify the provision which God makes for the ends of his government and the preservation and government of his creatures. And Burkhoff goes on to say the idea of providence 
may be defined as that continued exercise of divine energy, whereby the Creator preserves all His creatures, is operative in all that comes to pass in the world, and directs all things to their appointed end. This definition indicates that there are three elements of providence, preservation, concurrence, and government. Okay, now then, um, the, the next statement here is from the first paragraph, where it says, God the Creator the great creator of all things doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things. And here, turn, if you would, again, to um, towards the last page of your notes. And I have three, three or four of these texts that are printed out. They're, they're listed here, but I thought it might be helpful to have them printed out rather than have you chase around your Bibles. But So towards the end of your notes, you're going to find Hebrews 1, 3, Daniel chapter 4, Psalm 135, Acts 17. And I have these printed out, and then the, the words that are in italics are the ones that the confession uses to justify the particular point. So in Hebrews 1, 3, it says, He's the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, upholds all things. That's the key phrase. Upholds all things by the word of His power. When He made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Then another text that is used is Daniel four thirty four and 35, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Then Psalm 135 and verse 6, the part that supports the providence of God, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth and in seas and in all deeps. So there's there's a comprehensiveness to it. And then Acts 17, 25 and following, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offering. Now, the next page, I think, in your notes should be John Owen on Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And uh, now this is going to make you feel like we're not going to make it through the notes, but we will um, because it will go pretty fast after this. But anyway, this this is just kind of taking another step on, on Hebrews chapter one and verse three, which is used to support support this this doctrine. And I just thought <clears throat> I thought Owen made some some good points in just developing this particular even this phrase. And you notice here upholds all things by the word of his power. And Owen says he showed before that by him the worlds were created. So creation comes first. Whereunto, as a further evidence of his glorious power and his continuance to act suitably unto that beginning of his exercise of it, he adds that he also abides to uphold or rule and dispose all things made by him. So he created and now he upholds or rules all things. He comments on the Greek participle translated upholds, taken by expositors. He says in a double sense. So number one, some render it by upholding, supporting, bearing, carrying, and these suppose it to express that infinite divine power which is exerted in the conservation of the creation, keeping it from sinking into its original confusion and nothing, or 
I hear of our Savior saith, My Father work hitherto, and I work. That is, in the providential sustentation of all things made at the beginning. And this, saith Chrysostom, on this place, is a greater work than that of creation. So he's saying providence is a greater work than that of creation. By the former, that is by creation, all things were brought forth from nothing. By the latter, they are preserved from that return into unto nothing which their own nature would precipitate them unto. Now then Owen says, some take the word to express his ruling, governing, and disposing of all things by him and sustained. And so it may denote the putting forth of that power over all things which is given unto the Son as mediator or else that providential rule over which um, over which he hath with his father, which seems rather to be intended because of the way expressed whereby he exercises his, his rule, namely by the word of his power. And, and then he, he basically indicates you don't have to choose one or the other. You don't have to choose upholding as opposed to ruling. He says, I see no reason why we should suppose an inconsistency in these senses and not rather conclude they're both, both of them are implied. For as absolutely is the same divine power and providence which is exercised in the upholding and the ruling or disposing of all things, so all rule and government is a matter of weight and burden. He who rules or governs um, uh, others is said to bear or carry them. It says to bear then or uphold and to rule and dispose may, may be both well intended in this word, as they are both expressed in that prophecy of Christ. The rule or government shall be upon his shoulder, that together with his power and rule he may sustain and bear the weight of his people. Only whereas is done amongst men with much labor and travail, he doth it by an inexpressible facility by the word of his power. So I thought that was just a helpful further development of upholding all things by the word of his power. Okay, number four, and this is um, from Louis Burkhoff, and it really helps to understand the, the comprehensiveness of the providence of God, the extent of God's providence, and, and several kind of subsections here. First, the universe at large, Psalm 103:19. the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, his sovereignty rules over all. We already looked at Daniel 4, 35. Over the physical world, Psalm 104.14, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth. A couple more texts, Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deeps. Matthew 5.45, in order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Theologians refer to this as common grace, the benefits that even unconverted people benefit from God's care over them, even though they don't give God credit for it. But Over also what he calls brute creation, Psalm 104, 21, the, the young lions roar after their prey and they seek their food from God. Matthew six twenty six. look at the birds of the air. They do not sow. Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Psalm Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? Then over the affairs of nations. Job twelve twenty three, He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nation, then leads them away. Psalm twenty two twenty eight, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over all nations. And I, I find myself, I hope it's having this effect upon you. When, when you read all these verses, 
it's edifying because it just presses into your soul. You're not in control. The guy next door is not in control. The guy in office is not in control. God is in control. And he's always working out his own purposes. And so you just go one verse after another. And I find that when I come back to these, it's like, I need to read this a little bit more often than I do. And it just, it just kind of presses into your soul the, the nature of God's providence and his sovereignty. Psalm 66, 7, he, he rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Acts 17, 26, and he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation over man's birth and lot in life. 1 Samuel 16, 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? <clears throat> Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Psalm 139, 16, Thy eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Paul says in Galatians 1.15, But even he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood over the outward successes and failures of men's lives. Psalm 75, 6, For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the uh, desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Luke 1, 52, He's brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. Over things which, which seem accidental or insignificant or, or random, Matthew 10, 30, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Josiah would be a good example, his death in battle that we looked at recently. The protection of the righteous. Uh, Psalm 4, 8, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For thou alone, O Lord, dost make me to dwell in safety. Psalm 5, 12, for it is thou who dost bless the righteous man, O Lord. Thou dost surround him with favor as with a shield. Psalm 63, 8, my soul clings to thee. My right hand upholds me. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that, who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, supplying the, the wants of, of his people. Deuteronomy 8, 3. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then in giving answers to prayer, uh, when he prayed to him, Second Chronicles 33.13, he was moved, that is God was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew, <coughs> excuse me, that the Lord was God. Psalm 65, 2, O thou dost hear prayer, to thee all men come. Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it shall be given to you, seek, and you shall find, knock, and it shall be opened to you. Luke 18, 7, now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
So there's some uh, introductory thoughts to uh, the theme of the providence of, of God, and I'll continue on. Uh, probably in, t- in two weeks from today, uh, Joe Lockery, you're not teaching on the providence of God, are you? Okay, okay, uh, okay, yeah, not now, okay, <laughs> not anymore, okay, okay. Well, it's providential, so, you know, but uh, anyway, forget that. But um, let us look to the Lord in prayer, and, and, and Mark, if you would close for us in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for your kindness to us and continuing to bring us together and, and giving us what we need. Uh, your, your truth and your leading. Um, thank you for your care for us and for uh, continuing to draw us mm-hmm. towards yourself and your unchanging nature and your, your glorious uh, providence and sovereignty over all things and Father it does um, quiet the voices in our own mind that are yeah. so tuned to this world and the flesh uh, that, um, that deny what is true from your scripture. I just pray that you would have your way in us this morning and um, have your way in us in, in the next service as we worship you and draw near uh, to sing songs about yeah. you and uh, listen to scripture about you to hear the preaching of the word. Um, we count it a privilege, Father, to be here and um, take it so serious and just grateful for your many kindnesses, Lord. Just uh, have your way and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.